From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Friday the 13th of May. Good afternoon. Today we'll be discussing some of the biggest news stories, including North Korea's first COVID outbreak and the crypto crash. We'll also be answering today's big question. Is Russia about to cut off Europe's gas? As well as discussing this weekend's Eurovision Song Contest with expert Jazza John. Oh, and as a Friday the 13th surprise, we're going to be including the big question and part of my Eurovision discussion in the video here on YouTube. So if you end up enjoying a longer briefing today, then be sure to subscribe to Nebula to get it every single day. But first, let's talk about the UN's major Russia decision. The United Nations Human Rights Council has voted to set up an investigation into allegations of war crimes by Russian troops in part of Ukraine. The inquiry will specifically look at the events in Kiev, Cherniv, Kharkiv and Sumy, cities which Russian troops had occupied before being pushed back out of the areas. The UN resolution to investigate passed with an overwhelming majority, 33 in favour, 2 against and 12 abstentions, with China and Eritrea being those two no votes, which is consistent with their previous voting relating to the invasion of Ukraine. But interestingly, a number of countries that, based on their previous votes, one might have expected to no vote as well, ended up abstaining including Cuba, Venezuela and Bolivia. Similarly, the United Arab Emirates, which has tended to abstain from votes like this, voted in favour of setting up an investigation, suggesting a clear shift in attitude, especially when it comes to war crimes. Next up, let's move to North Korea, who have made an unprecedented admission, telling the world about their explosive COVID outbreak, as well as ordering lockdown measures across the country. State media on Friday reported that six people had died after contracting a fever, and one of them had tested positive for the Omicron variant. The KCNA news agency reported that around 350,000 people had shown signs of fever, and that 187,000 people were being isolated and treated with a fever, but didn't specify how many had actually tested positive for COVID. This admission of the outbreak in a country that had not previously acknowledged any presence of COVID within its tightly sealed borders suggests that this outbreak is pretty dire. With limited testing capabilities, no vaccination program, and an under-equipped healthcare system, the North Korean population is likely to be particularly vulnerable to the virus. Their neighbour to the south, South Korea, has said that they plan to provide vaccines and other medical support to the country which is normally their most bitter rival. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your everyday routine. Or you can just search for us in your podcast app to listen along. Cryptocurrencies across the board have continued their slide on Friday, and at the time of writing, Bitcoin is currently trading at about $30,000, down roughly 50% in just six months. Meanwhile, Ethereum is trading at $2,000, also down about 50% in six months, and Tether, which is supposed to be a stablecoin that always trades at $1, fell to $0.97 cents on Thursday prompting its chief technology officer to tweet reassurances to investors that it's still capable of honouring withdrawals at par. 
Smaller cryptocurrencies have fared even worse though. Cardano and Solana are both down 80% from their September and November highs respectively, while Terra Luna, which was once among the top 10 most valuable cryptocurrencies, lost 98% of its value overnight on Thursday, prompting its subreddit to pin national helpline numbers in reaction to multiple posts from users considering suicide. Also today, the EU and US have responded to the UK government's plans to unilaterally scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol. The EU's chief negotiator has said that the EU wanted to continue negotiations, but that the UK government was refusing to consider any of their proposals, while the White House urged both sides to continue with dialogue. For their part, the UK government have insisted that negotiations aren't going anywhere, which is why they will need to trigger Article 16. The UK government justify this radical measure by claiming that the protocol is causing unsustainable societal harm in Northern Ireland, although it's worth noting that the main anti-protocol party in Northern Ireland, the DUP, performed historically poorly at the most recent elections last week which suggests that there's not much public appetite for the UK government's position, either at home or across the negotiating table. Finally, on Sunday, Lebanese citizens will go to the poll for a general election that will be markedly different from the last one in 2018. Five years ago, Lebanon was doing pretty well by regional standards, with a resilient currency and steady, if slow, economic growth. This year, though, Lebanon is in far worse shape. Thanks to the incompetence of the corrupt political class and one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history, in the last years, Lebanon's GDP has shrunk by 58%. The lira has lost 94% of its value and year-on-year -year inflation is currently running at over 200%. But, unfortunately for ordinary Lebanese people, this election is unlikely to bring any change. A convoluted electoral system and campaign finance laws so weak that vote-buying is actually legal in Lebanon massively advantage a corrupt but wealthy incumbent political class, who will be unable to perform the massive reform required if Lebanon is to be able to get back on its feet. On Friday, European gas prices jumped 10%, from 94 euros per megawatt hour to about 107 euros. And that was in reaction to the news that Russia had sanctioned European subsidiaries of Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom. These Russian sanctions essentially mean that no more Russian gas will run through the Yamal Europe pipeline, which connects the Russian natural gas fields in the Yamal Peninsula with Poland and Germany via Belarus. This announcement came just a few days after Ukraine's gas transmission systems operator said that it wouldn't be able to ensure natural gas transit from Russia to Europe via the Soronivka gas pipe, which represents about 10% of all gas flows from Russia to Europe, with Ukraine blaming Russian forces taking control over a relevant compressor station. At the time, there were also rumours that Russia was shutting off natural gas supplies to Finland, which relies on Russia for about two-thirds of its natural gas imports, with them making this move in retaliation to Finland's maturing NATO aspirations. 
These latest developments, though, suggest that Russia, and possibly even Ukraine, are going to start using natural gas supplies as leverage against the West. While most European countries have set timelines for ending dependence on Russian energy imports, most of Eastern Europe, Germany and Italy are all still heavily dependent on Russia for gas imports, with no obvious ways of replacing this shortfall. And that's ultimately why Western sanctions have so far excluded energy, and even the most recent set of sanctions proposed by the EU only include oil not gas. That means that Russia and the rest of Europe have continued to trade gas so far. Because, well, Europe still needs energy, and Russia needs the foreign currency reserves to prop up its economy and fund the war effort. But the weaponization of gas was always a possibility, and Russia's demand last month that all gas payments be paid in ruble was a sign of things to come. If Russia does decide to cut off gas to hurt Europe, then European unity could begin to be tested. The German government, for example, has made it clear that it believes that an immediate Russian gas embargo would cause an unacceptably severe recession in the country, and Schultz might therefore be tempted to take a softer line with Putin to avoid having the gas taps turned off. However, there's obviously a big downside for Putin here too. So far, Russian energy exports have proved pretty lucrative for Russia. However, now that the Russian economy has somewhat stabilized, he might decide that cutting off gas to Europe is worth the cost if it means undermining Western unity and makes the Europeans think twice about sending heavy weapons to Ukraine. Lastly today, this weekend is the final of the Eurovision Song Contest, the annual opportunity for the biggest singing talent across Europe, and some slightly less talented people too, to go head-to-head -to, -head to bring pride to their nation. So I decided to sit down with Jazza John, fully certified Eurovision expert, and rather conveniently our SPM at YouTube, to find out more about what's coming up this weekend. So I am aware that for most people, Eurovision is one night of camp, glitter, spikes, fun times. For the rest of us, for those of us that are truly committed. <laughs> people do it properly. This has been many, many months in the making. There's 40 competitors this yep. year, which means that there have been 40 different selection processes yep. by each of the national broadcasters as to who is going to represent their nation at the Eurovision Song Contest. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is complicated this year. Um, yeah. Uh, we have a war on. It took a while for the European Broadcast Union to do anything. Okay. Because generally, the EBU tr tries to say that it's a non-political entity. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm like, sorry, you exist in the world in 2022. Of course. Guys, like, you, you cannot not be political. And so they eventually said that uh, Russia were not allowed to compete in the Eurovision mm -hmm. Song Contest, and then the Russian broadcasters um, left themselves out of the EBU. So okay. at the moment, there's no kind of like clear way of Russia actually taking part in the Eurovision. They'd have to reapply to be part of the EBU again. In future years. In future years, okay. yeah. Which is a big one, because Russia are, are always kind of like a big performer. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of kind of like proximity votes, because yes. they have a lot of um, uh, close neighbours and cultural neighbours. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of like a really big deal, but it would have probably been awkward for the Eurovision Song Contest, which famously was founded in order to heal a, a continent yeah. of countries rift apart by war, mm -hmm. um, to then go, oh, yeah, 
Sure, just yeah. like pop into Ukraine and claim what you want, Russia. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's there's been a lot, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the fusion of politics and of uh, uh, strobe lighting is really what uh, brings me joy every single year. Nice. It's my Christmas. I, I'm looking forward to it for you. <laughs> Um, so obviously we've seen we've seen all of the performances or we've seen certainly all of the songs up mm-hmm. to this point so without spoiling anything for people like me right what's your personal take on the entrance this year the overall standard as well as some potential favourites least favourites are the ones that have made it through thus far uh, Jack you're asking a a, a a very torn man okay uh, like the perfect sky uh, I am torn <laughs> And ever evolving as okay, well. Yes. Um, I made a video that I put up this week on mm-hmm. uh, my channel that um, I already disagree with. Really? Um, two that days fast? after I put it up. Yeah. Okay. Because now we've had some of like the rehearsal clips come out. Yes. Or those kinds of things. I'll name uh, a couple for you. Yes. So the big favorite this year, mm-hmm. who I think in the, the last time I checked was like a uh, three to four favorite mm-hmm. to win, like over a 50% chance of winning, uh, is Ukraine. Makes um, sense. For obvious reasons. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, the song is fine. Yeah. Um, uh, and the, it's a really great story. Like some of the members, Kalush Orchestra, um, uh, the representatives, some of the members have been fighting on, on the ground in the war in Ukraine. Um, and uh, it's really great to see kind of like a re- an upbeat and defiant track come and yeah. represent them. But it has rap in it, so I hate it. Um, uh, there's, <laughs> is, that, there's... is that a hard and fast rule for Eurovision? For me, anyway. Okay, And sure. as the representative of all Eurovision fans, yes. Okay, that great. Is, that is true. I'm glad we got that cleared up. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, there's also... So some of the favourites are um, uh, Mahmoud and Blanco, who are representing Italy, okay. which is the first time we've had a male on male not male on male duet a, a two-man duet okay how do yeah. we say i know that? what you mean yeah yeah. yeah yeah two men doing a duet yeah um uh and that's kind of like really cool and something yeah. like uh lgbt representation isn't something new at eurovision yeah but i've rarely done it seen it done so classily Okay. And kind of like not as a gimmick. So that's yes. a really cool thing to kind of like keep your eye out for. Okay. Um, and obviously you've heard about Sam Ryder. I the, have. The king of TikTok and um, all short Of the United Kingdom, do of I believe. Of the United Kingdom. Potentially after this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I say uh, move over Charles. Really? Sam can uh, do the next Queen's Speech. Thank you very much. I like that. Get some, yeah, yeah, get some yeah, yeah. notes printed with his face on. Oh, uh, yeah. Get him ready. 100%, definitely. Um, uh Sam Ryder is uh, like he's second favorite to win at the moment which is unusual for the UK which is very rare for the yeah. UK but to be fair we haven't really taken it seriously for about 20 years yeah. so it's our fault okay um uh, he is incredibly talented but i think the one of the reasons that he has been that people are so excited and he's so beloved is because he has such a fantastic attitude and he loves being at Eurovision. Okay. He has engaged with all of the press there, has mm-hmm. gotten really, really fantastic coverage across the continent, which is really important in terms of yeah. wooing the potential voters. It's yeah, like absolutely. a campaign. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, uh, and it also helps that his staging looks like it's going to be fantastic mm-hmm. and it also helps that um he's one of the most talented people we've ever sent and okay. he's probably the best vocalist of the night that we will end up hearing um so i won't let myself think that we can win um because i was 
eight when we last won the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest. It's been um, a little while then. It's been a, it's been a little while. Um, I'm just my fingers are crossed. Okay, yeah. great. I'm not letting myself hope too much though. And obviously, you've already touched on the voting system to some extent. Is there genuinely politics at play here or not? I think when we talk about politics in the Eurovision, we think about factors that are something other than this is the best song. Yeah. Which, of course, is going to happen when you ask people to vote for somebody. Yes. Um, Look at democracy Mm -hmm. in general. Um, And it's really interesting to see there are some academics that have um, uh, kind of like tracked the spread of Eurovision and like Mm. democratic processes within Eurovision, the expansion of Eurovision East and then the expansion of democracy further and further Ah. East in Europe as well. Some fascinating things. I'll send you some links. (laughs) Uh, But when you have people vote in a democracy, you end up with people voting for the funniest candidate. Okay. You have yep. people voting for the one who has knocked on their door the most. Mm-hmm. You have people voting on uh, uh, who's the most attractive person on the ballot paper. I'm not saying Andy Burnham is the king of the <laughs> north just because he's got great eyebrows, but I'm sure they help. You know, It could be a factor. Um, it's not like somebody, when you go out and vote, says, well, you have to go and analyse all of the of political literature out there, even yeah. though institutions like TLDR do, do such a fantastic job oh, of breaking all of that so down. No, you're, you're so welcome. Happy to be here. Um, if you open up public opinion to this, yes. then you have to allow for there to be some silly votes, some biased votes. But I kind of see the jury as like a second chamber, okay, to nice. kind of pull back some yeah. of the uh, some of the overzealous yeah. um, public voting. That okay. would have, if we'd just gone on on uh, public voting, there would have sometimes been very different winners of the Eurovision Song Contest in the yeah. last like fifteen or so years. Uh, but I'm quite happy with there being a jury system that essentially works as the House of Lords um, nice. and says, calm down, people. Like, <laughs> like, maybe you want to consider this. Maybe that vocal wasn't so good, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. I like the political analogy. <laughs> You're welcome. I know where I am. Exactly. Your kind of final question from me, kind of money on the table, who do you think the winner is going to be? Both for you, I suppose, mm-hmm. and also most likely to win. That's all we have time for on YouTube today. But if you enjoyed the longer briefing and want to watch the full Eurovision discussion, then you should sign up to Nebula. Nebula subscribers not only get everything you've already watched ad-free, but also get an extended version of the show every single weekday. Available to watch on Nebula or to stream on your podcast app of choice. So if you want to support the channel and get an even more extensive briefing every day, then you'll want to sign up. And there's good news. Our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service with some of the world's best documentaries, is offering a deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $15 a year. That's all the documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream, and then more TLDR on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, And, well, it's always ad-free, too. Click the link below to get both services for less than $15 a year and support the channel.